This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam. This is the Out of Bounds Podcast. Today, you have Julia Kern on the show. Julia is an Olympian uh, in cross-country skiing. Uh, she has been around the game for a while now, and we talk about everything from her competitive career to how someone like myself should approach their first cross-country skiing event. So I hope you enjoy the conversation. I really did. Um, I do always. And honestly, like lately, there, there have been some really good ones, which have gotten me excited. And this is one of them. So I hope uh, it is a good one for you as it was for me. You missed it. Last week, we had Josh Berman on the show to talk about Full Circle. If you haven't listened to that one, that is 100% worth a listen. And I would appreciate some feedback on that. I'm a little sick, so sorry if I'm sniffling through some of these bits here. Uh, one of the last things we have gear guides available. They're ready to ship. They're shipping right now. I'm literally in the office as we speak, packing these things up, and there have been a ton of people that have gotten them already, so I really, really appreciate it. Looking forward to people getting those in their hands. Just go to outofcollective.com, and you can get yourself hooked up with a gear guide. Next, we have our sponsor for this show, Off-Piste Provisions. Off-Piste makes plant-based jerky made for the active outdoors adventurer. They're based in New Zealand. They make a super, super protein-packed 22 grams beef jerky snack that is not actually beef jerky. It's plant-based jerky. Um, and it actually tastes really good. I I would not lie to you about the taste of food. I never have and I never will. It is, uh, it's actually awesome. I'm a huge fan and I'm psyched to work with these guys. Tastes like meat, chews like the real thing, but doesn't have that weird aftertaste that a lot of times these plant-based products have. So be sure to get yourself some. You can make your way over to offpiecedprovisions.com and use code 25COLLECTIVE. Um, you can even get that on Amazon. Either way, you get 25% off to try this thing out. Once again, that's offpieceprovisions.com. Next, we have our friends at Aspen Snowmass. I can't be prouder, could not be prouder to work with Aspen this season. If you want to go ski somewhere where the terrain is endless and open this season, if you're thinking about booking a trip, make it to Aspen Snowmass. It is literally the most open acreage you can ski in the whole country. So go there immediately. There's easy flights in and out of the Aspen airport from all major travel hubs. So it makes traveling an ease. It, it's not a headache to get in and out of these places, especially if you live in a major area or near a major airport. Be sure to go to gosnomass.com and get yourself set up tickets, get all the information you need to plan your trip, and uh, and we can go skiing. And let me know. If you want to go skiing, hit me up. Um, I'll be out there this season. Go make some turns. And without further ado, here's my friend and yours, Julia Kern. Say, All right, Julia. Tell people who you are, tell them a little bit about yourself, and then we can kind of take from there. I'm Julia Kern. I grew up in Waltham, Massachusetts, and I'm a cross-country skier on the U.S. team. This is my ninth year on the national team, and besides cross-country skiing and racing, uh, I love to do anything in the outdoors, so 
I may be labeled a cross country skier, but I love all types of skiing. Um, that's kind of my like general background. Awesome. And you played basketball for a bit too, huh? Yeah, I was really serious about basketball until I was 14. Like I was set on wanting to play college basketball, just like my older sister. Uh, I still love to play basketball. I try to convince my teammates to shoot hoops with me and play some 21 knockout. <laughs> um, any regrets on that side of things? No, I really no regrets. Uh, it's nice to be an individual sport where like the clock doesn't lie. And, uh, you know, there's a lot less people vying for spots in cross-country skiing. So I think in terms of my chances, <laughs> I, I placed my bets right. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, let me ask you about the kind of team dynamic versus doing an individual sport. You spoke at Snowbound on Sunday, so I'm going to ask you a couple kind of follow-up questions on those things. And we'll actually maybe talk about the expo a little bit as well. But what talk about the differences between like a full-on team sport, like a basketball, like a traditional stick and ball sport versus doing something that is very based on your individual results, but still having to focus on like how well the team does as well. Like what, what has that been like for you? Yeah, I think the cool thing was I grew up playing a lot of team sports and absolutely love that. Since I'm a social person, it's a lot more fun to go to practice and hang out with people. Like grinding alone isn't that fun. So I think yeah. there's a lot of similarities in that sense. And um, I love playing basketball, but it's so hard. You have a coach who decides playing time and you have other teammates you're relying on for your success as well, which can be really rewarding. But what I love about the cross-country team both the U.S. ski team and my Stratton team is that even though we're an individual sport, it feels like a team sport. We have team practices most days a week and we're pushing each other really hard and like committed towards that. And we still have some realizing team events. So I think it's the best of both worlds where you're not dependent on other people's energy and effort, but you reap the benefits of having a team pushing you every day. Um, and yeah, and then it's even more special when you get to do something like a team sprint or a relay with your teammates and then it really truly is a team effort and so yeah I don't know I think it even though an individual sport I would say our cross-country team is so much more a team sport than most individual sports are yeah yeah I would I would agree even just like looking at the socials it seems like you guys are constantly having fun I mean obviously working really hard but it seems like you guys actually enjoy being around each other which is uh it doesn't happen all the time but it's a really nice thing yeah and I don't think I think people think maybe it's just luck or it comes easy, but we definitely work on it and people are really mindful, but you're spending four and a half months with the same people. They, they have to become <laughs> family. So yeah, there's times where they feel like family, it's like you're fighting with your brother or sister. But uh, if you hated the people around you, it'd be pretty hard to do that four and a half months straight under it. What does working on it mean? What does that look like? Uh, we It sounds silly, but we do like a team culture meeting every quarter. We talk about what our team wants to be known for what are our goals? Um, how do we want to treat others? And so I think even just checking in on that and reminding yourselves to think about how your in, your actions impact other people. And um, one of my coaches says, you don't have to be best friends. You have to be best teammates. And so naturally in a group, you're not going to be best friends with everyone. People have crazy different personalities, but within that group, you're going to have some close friends and then you're also going to have teammates. And so I think that's what's really cool is our team is men and women combined. Alpine is but speed, tech, men, women. So across country, we're like this really big team. So you actually have opportunity to have a chance to get along with someone, be friends with someone mm -hmm. on the road. So I think that's really special and makes it a little bit easier. But yeah, there's definitely times when 
there's tension and either talk with teammates or coaches or I think just confronting it early and up front, mm. especially if you're rooting yeah. with someone for so long. Like it, it's, yeah. it's, we're sharing, I mean, I'm sharing beds with Jesse like half the season. So like often we just get shoved into one bed in the tiny European bed. So you have to be like, okay, you're bothering me right now. Stop doing that. Or I need my space. I'm going to put my headphones on. So I think a lot of it's just being grown up and, uh, yeah, I'm friend. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's like to a much smaller scale. It's like X and I travel for events a lot together and pretty often we end up sleeping in the same bed or in the same room for like periods of time and middle of guaranteed like within a day or two of being together we're like get the fuck away from me like leave me alone stop talking to me like i can't stand you right now but that honestly that's what makes it work sometimes it's uh but it's difficult like you're dealing with all of everybody else's icks at all time like no matter what somebody's gonna bother you do like he's one of my closest friends and no matter what there's without fail things that i do that bother him and things that he does that drives me fuck i mean you've met him like just being around his personality all the time is like when i'm tr- the other day i'm like trying to go to bed in the hotel room at snowbound and he's going over like all the intricacies of baywatch to me and i'm like dude like shut the fuck up like we need to just like i need to sleep we need to be on tomorrow you're like lights out let's go get the get the message <laughs> Yeah, like it doesn't it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's happening. It's uh it's hilarious. I had my girlfriend with us for one day and she's like, How do you do this on the road for like on a regular basis? It's like this is me and she's not like involved in the industry at all. So she's looking at it from the outside, like, Oh, it must be really fun, like all the time. But it's uh I think she kinda got a little bit of a taste of it this weekend. Yeah, it's like a relate being in a relationship with your friend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You just manage it. Um Talk about being on the road for that long. Like it's, it's gotta be difficult and maybe you're used to it now, but it's gotta be difficult just living road life for that long of a stretch. Like it basically cross country essentially just takes over your whole existence for a little while. Yeah, it definitely does. And thankfully I like traveling and being on the move a lot. Like our April month is our month off. And what I do is I go travel. People are like, you're crazy. But that kind of travel feels really different to being on the road just because you have a lot less freedom and flexibility, and I really value that. Um, mm. Everyone knows your business. Oh, you're wearing a new shirt today. Oh, where are you going tonight? Like, you're not at team dinner. So there's there's zero privacy. Um, so I think for me, the, that hard part is just, like, escaping the Nordic skier mindset. Like, we train together. We sleep together. We eat every meal together. We, like, spend all of our time in rooms together, play games together. So it's a lot of ski talk and attention. Mm. Um and for me, my outlet to balance that out is like if I feel like I'm getting too in my head about all-consuming skiing, which for me, I really seek balance and helps me. I take my camera, my drone, go for a run or a walk without a plan and just like get outside and like engage my creative mind. Remember that I'm like a human outside of my ski results and racing. And that's so important. Or yeah, just like going to a coffee shop or meeting new people or other teammates Um I think is is super fun and a way to do it because yeah, four and a half months straight of just thinking, eat, breathe, sleep, skiing is is pretty intense, and I don't think it's good for anyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. It's got to be hard to not just. I mean, as amazing of a job and career that it is, it's like it's got to be hard to not 
get sick of it sometimes. Like, especially like middle of the season, you're like, oh, I have everything I just did. I have that much left right now. Like that's when it, I think for a lot of people sets in that like, okay, this might be a grind for a minute here. Yeah. And I think building in like the last year after the Olympics, I realized like, okay, I need to make sure I have fun and don't get too serious. I got like way too serious and it was, I just wanted it so bad, but I realized like you got to have fun in the process. And I loved to cross country ski, but just having those like mini breaks in the season. Last year, my family came over for Christmas. I downhill skied for two and a half days and just didn't think about cross country skiing. And I came mm. back so fresh, so excited. And I was like, oh, wow, I'm like so in tune with my ankle flexion now because I was just thinking about like <laughs> pressing into my downhill boots. And uh, like, yeah, from a training perspective, it's like, yeah, you probably just trash your legs before a tour to ski, but then I raced super well. And so like even just like traveling around Innsbruck or just taking a day or two to like get away, do something different. Um that like can recharge me so much so i try to sprinkle that in throughout the season yeah what what does summer training look like for you like we're talking about this four and a half month stretch a lot here but there's also a lot of training that goes in during the summer months during spring months during the fall like what what does that look like for you how do you keep that fresh how do you stay how do you stay engaged in it when there's not like a true deadline for anything yeah i think the summer and fall is quite exciting because we do so many different things. And unlike Alpine, we can mock cross-country skiing on our roller skis. They're like rollerblades on longer yeah, yeah, yeah. longer wheels with some poles. People have probably seen it out there. We look feel like people make fun of us. But it's a really great workout, a great way to mock <laughs> skiing. So you don't have to be on snow all the time. Um, also terrifying on pavement because you have no brakes. Uh, <laughs> it's always the question you get. But... We're just bombing down these hills without brakes on. Um, that th- that's a like we do a lot of that, but I like love to mountain bike and cross train, and I try to do as many sports as possible. Um, Link mm-hmm. up with friends, do that kind of stuff. So summer training is just like a variety of endurance and strength exercise. Um, and then in, like we kick off the season and bend every year, and that's so fun because we ski in the morning and then I, like mountain bike every afternoon. It's like the dream, <laughs> dream camp. Uh, so that's that's a fun team camp, and then. I spent three weeks in New Zealand this year skiing on snow and then spent another week just surfing the coast. Um, so we have like that sprinkled in. We have camps, but then between camps, I'm settled in Stratton with my Stratton team and we have a good training group here and try to like live a, a more normal life where you're still training a lot and focus on skiing, but you have life outside of skiing as well. Mm, yeah, for sure. How mentally as you're in the season as you're going into the season how do you make sure that you're in kind of the right space like I know we talked already about kind of doing some of those things that are outside of skiing but when it comes to like that competitive mindset where where do you get that from how do you kind of lock in once it's actually time like you've done all this prep work and now it's time to actually go compete I unload mentally like right before so I had a park city camp training camp for three weeks in October and then I went to San Diego for five days to visit my sister favorite place for me to like check out so I feel like I get really motivated when I train really hard and then I just chill out for a week get my mind off of things and then I'm recovered and eager to get back after it and so for me in in the fall it's really important to get like one more reset where I go to the beach I surf I do non-ski things and then have this like last block and I think uh yeah, I don't know. Being on snow is just so motivating. We get on snow so late that I'm just yeah. psyched to be on snow. And then from there, it's just racing your way into form. Um, and yeah, wanting to just improve. And 
I'm a competitive person. So if, if I'm going head to head with someone, I want to beat them. <laughs> For sure. Um, the last few years seems like, especially since COVID, it seems like cross country has kind of blown up again. I don't know if blown up is the right word, but people are taking interest at a much higher level level over the past couple of years. Why Why do you think that is? I think it's that comedian video on TikTok. <laughs> You've probably seen it. <laughs> These cross country yeah. skiers, you know, the awkward part where we get up to the lift and you can't really get there. No, it's like uh, all the worst parts of skiing. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why that would make people want to go do it. I mean, it's, yeah, no. Uh, and in all honesty, I think during COVID, there was just so many restrictions and there's just been this big biking surge to an endurance effort. And I think our team has had so much success that it's put it on, more on the map. And it's just, it's a sport you can do for your life. Like my grandma still skis. She's over 80. And I think you don't need as much equipment. It's not as expensive. And I don't know, freezing your ass off on a chairlift doesn't sound that fun sometimes. Some days the best thing is to do is like move around and stay warm in the winter. And I, yeah, I think there's just a lot of momentum building now in the U.S. There's a a lot of places you can like watch skiing too so people feel a lot more connected to it um and you have like the backcountry ski schema influence i think that's taking off too people love to skin and it's just another form of that and so if you don't have a mountain but you have a golf course nearby you can do it pretty easily um yeah, yeah so i think i think there's just like a variety of influences but hopefully some of our team's work has started to put it on the map and like having a world cup come to the u.s this year i think will be a huge boost in in the skiing world in the u.s yeah i think so for sure what talk to me a little bit about that like what what is that like for you guys like having a world cup being in the u.s like just talk to me about like being able to kind of do this on home soil it is a big fucking deal (laughs) we (laughs) we're supposed to have this world cup in 2020 and COVID hit five days before and i remember being in quebec it was the saddest day ever it was like dreary out and like freezing rain and Jess had put like her soul and like her life's mission on the line to get the World Cup to come to Minneapolis. And so I think that the fact that it was canceled just built up the hype even more. They sold out of tickets the first two days. They released another batch within 24 hours, sold out of tickets. So just to see that many people excited to see World Cup on home soil is really cool. And I think I'm really excited just to see like the little kids, like they're going to bus kids mm-hmm. out from the city um, and they get to see it in front of them. Like I would have died to see world cup action in front of me and see oh this is real and i can get there and these people are actually ordinary humans and i can do this too and i think there's some value like you see on tv people seem like superhero and invincible and i don't know the tv doesn't like has this distance where it doesn't seem like you're able to do that and then now i'm like blink my eyes and i'm doing that and it just it makes it seem um a lot harder to do and so i think seeing it in person and seeing how exciting cross-country skiing is like in europe it's they're just like huge parties on the thousands hundreds of thousands of fans at some of the world cup and i don't think people realize like how big of a sport it is over there and i think minneapolis is going to be the great the best place to do it since that's where the biggest community is in the u.s yeah for sure yeah i'm interested to see what it does and what kind of like uptick we see in participation just from that one event because i think and you kind of alluded to it, but like the U S doesn't really get that feeling for skiing in general, but cross country skiing, especially like, I don't think kids have that level of relatability to things like Alpine racing, cross country racing. It's just, they don't get to see their people as much as often 
versus going and going to a basketball game or even going and like looking at your favorite free ride skiers like out on the mountain on a regular day basis like it, it puts that goal a lot closer to people i think and i think you see it with killington with the alpine world cup right like i mean every year that place is like exploding just for that one event and i think it does a really really good thing for the sport not just in new england but across the whole country yeah, I think it it just puts it on the map and makes it attainable. I mean, after Minneapolis too, Monday, everyone can ski for free on the World Cup course. Like, how cool is that? Kids can see, like, this That's is what right. a World Cup course is like. And they can be there on the ground. And yeah, it's it's real and they can grasp it and it's right in front of them if they want it. Yeah. Um, I have a bit of a personal question for you too. So I'm doing my first cross country event. I'm doing the Berkey in whenever February or something like that. I've never yeah. cross country skied in my life. Never, not once. Um, so I'm going to go do this, uh, with the Fisher crew and see how it goes. Um, but any, any advice on doing first cross country event, first cross country skiing ever? Uh, I mean, what, which distance are you doing the full Berkey or are you, are you doing 50 K what? You're doing the full 50. Doing the 50. Yeah. Heck yeah. Well, you'll be racing against some World Cup skiers. They'll be there. <laughs> you can say hi. I'm not kidding. Um, I don't think I'm going to be racing. I am doing the Berkey. I don't think dude. we're going to call it racing. Um, My first tip would be go skiing before then. Don't let that be your first trip in cross-country <laughs> skis. Yeah, I'm going to uh, do that part. Yeah. Bring lots of snacks. Okay. Snacks and like hot water that won't freeze. Um, snacks are key. If you're going that long, like if you're hangry and bonked out of your mind, you're not gonna have a good time. So, bring all the good snacks that are just gonna keep you going. How long? Uh, how long does a 50k even take? I don't even know. I have no context. They were like, "Do you want to go?" And I was like, "They were like, we have an entry." And I'm like, "All right, sure." Uh, it takes us about a little <laughs> over two hours on World Cup. Okay, so it'll take me five. Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sick. Get some fast skis wax for you. Uh, and yeah, I would say bring your snacks. I mean, that's how my grandparents got me into cross country skiing. They would bribe me with gummy bears and like sweet hot tea. They're like, if you make it to the next <laughs> intersection, you get to have these gummy bears. And I was such a sweet tooth. So uh, yeah, snacks, good attitude. Maybe bring like a, if you can make a friend, you know, make the time go by, chat yeah. with them. It's a pretty social activity, I think. And definitely yeah. practice before. Yeah, I'll, I'm gonna have to at least put my feet in some boots uh, beforehand. Like I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to force myself to do this a little bit. I don't even know why I said yes. To be honest, I was like, it, because they made it like it's a competition, and I'm, I am a very competitive person. And I was like, yeah, sure. Well, like it can't be that hard. And now I'm looking at it, and I'm like, oh, dude, this is gonna be really hard. I think you should do it, and then we should do another podcast, and you can uh, debrief me on your <laughs> your your first Bergie experience. It's going to be so cool. Yeah. Berkey's the biggest race in the U.S. And it's the week after after the World Cup. So it's going to be bustling with people. It's going to be really cool. Oh, great. Okay. Well, that's it's exactly what I need is to watch, is to have a bunch of people watching me just throw up all over the course. Um, <laughs> what about what about pacing? Like, what do, what do you do when you're going to go pace a distance like that, right? Like, I always worry about, like, just blowing myself up in the first 5K you know, and not being able to get through the rest of it. But then I also worry about like, what is too slow and how do you like keep your, and this is, I guess, a general question for everybody. Like if you're going for a distance, how do you make sure that you maintain 
a pace that is sustainable for that kind of distance? I think, yeah, pacing is definitely key. And if it's one of your, if it's your first 50K ever, I would suggest easing into it. Like, ski the first five or 10K at a, at a rate that's somewhat conversational. Like, you feel like you can carry out a conversation. If you're doing that, mm-hmm. then, you know, you're keeping your heart rate fairly low and you're relaxed. So you're going to warm up into it. Like, often, first five or 10K might feel pretty shitty. And as you warm up into it, it's going to start feeling better. You're going to have, you're going to have peaks and valleys, like through a 50K, you're going to have some highs and some low lows. And so you just got to get through those. (laughs) And I think if you're fueling at least well, um, you're able to like sustain like the glucose and energy in your body. So you're at least bonk. And yeah, the key is that and not like flooding your muscles. So we call it like the red line. Like if you start feeling like the lactic acid in your muscles, you're probably going a little too hard Mm -hmm. for a 50K sustain it um because that's really hard to come back from so i'd say like yeah think of it as like an acceleration ease into it you'll be like with a bunch of people so you can just go with the pack um and i think there's some the 007 there's some big hill at some point so if you reach that you know it's mostly downhill flat from there get some insight on the course. i'm scared of the downhill i'm just as scared of the downhill as i am the uphill the uphill i'm like it's gonna suck ass like i know it's gonna suck but like the uphill part of cross country skiing or the downhill part of cross country skiing is what I'm most nervous about. Like I just imagine myself and I've seen, you know, high level athletes get folded up like a pretzel, like during that downhill section too. And I'm just like, that is the part that I'm actually nervous about the uphill. I'm aware that I'm not going to do very well, no matter what happens. Right. But the downhill, I'm like, that's usually the part that I like in bikes or, you know, even Alpine touring, like any of that stuff. But the downhill here seems like it's like, I don't know. It's like Jim Gaffigan said. It's like it's the weirdest part of the whole bit. Yeah. I mean, bend your legs. People like straighten their legs when they get afraid. It's like athletic stance. Soft ankles, soft knees. can absorb it. Athletic stance and you got it. You know. Well, I'm sure you didn't think you were giving, uh, you were going to be giving rookie cross-country information or advice on this podcast. But I, I very much appreciate it. This is... This is good intel. You'll have one fan cheering for you out there, so. Hell yeah. I'm excited. I think everybody, like, in the crew of people that I'm going with, I think everybody else is going to be cheering against me because in the beginning, I was definitely pretty arrogant about it. It's like, oh, I can do this. This is no problem. Like, it, it won't be an issue at all. And now I'm, like, getting closer and closer. I haven't even, like, picked up a cross-country ski until this weekend at Snowbound, and then I was like, oh, man, I'm this is, uh, is going to be a mess. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, on some other stuff, uh, how did your talk go this weekend at Snowbound? You were up on the stage. Um, Doug was asking me some questions about your career, what things were like. What I want to know is how does it feel when you're sitting in front of a crowd, in front of a group of people, and kind of just talking on the mic? It's a very different experience, I think, than the actual athletic part of the sport. But addressing a group of people is always... It goes one way or the other for people. Either they really enjoy that part of it, the social part of it being on stage, or they hate that part and it makes them more nervous than the actual competition. So where do you sit in that and how do you felt like it went? I think that generally, like especially Q&A format, I really enjoy. And we do so much community outreach around here and events with different organizations that Q&A is something that I'm really comfortable with. And Doug did such a good job. He's really easy to talk to, really good, engaging questions. And so I think speaking in front of an audience in a Q&A format is 
I think really fun because you can work off of each other. It's natural answers. You go with it. Some go better than others, but um, I really enjoy that. And I think it's a great way to also engage with the audience. They can ask questions and really tailor it to who's there. Um, when it terms of like giving a keynote speech or like having to present one way and you get no feedback from the audience, that's a bit more daunting. I definitely get nervous because especially over Zoom or something or it's hard to gauge what the audience is saying. Like either I'm just talking at a wall right now and people are spaced out or they're engaged. <laughs> but Q&A, I think, is so much easier because people are asking questions. You give short answers. You tailor it to who's asking the question. Like if it's little kids, mm-hmm. my answers might be a little bit different than adults or a coach or, you know, these people running businesses. And so, yeah, I don't know. I think Q&A is playful and fun. And I thought this weekend went super well and Doug did a good job asking great questions and he understands from the athlete perspective since he was a racer right. himself um so yeah i thought that was super fun um easy to have just like a mic on me too instead of having to like hold it and yeah yeah, yeah. do that yeah um, I mean, maybe i should ask you because you were in the crash <laughs> i think it went really well this is where i was and i'm getting to the next part let somebody in the crowd asked you about performance enhancing drugs which i thought was a funny question he like kind of danced around the question too and i was like just ask what you're gonna ask man like this is are you i don't understand if you're asking her like if she's on drugs if you're like if she's worried about tainted supplement it was just a very odd i was not expecting that question in like a crowd question format it was very serious and he's like standing like four feet in front of you and i'm like this is this is a serious question to be asking right now. Yeah, I for- honestly, I forgot about that. And now thinking back, I don't know if I've ever gotten that kind of question <laughs> at a Q&A. Uh, I think the question was something like, uh, are you ever worried about, like, you're eating a lot of foreign foods. Are you ever worried about in performance, like, getting <laughs> contaminated food? And my only thought was that question was coming from, I think it was a pro biker who claimed to eat meat at a food truck that, made her test positive. Yeah, people claim this all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm a very science-driven person. My parents are both scientists. My sister's a scientist. My grandparents are scientists. So, uh, yeah, I feel like we've gotten a lot of lectures and food s- seems to be safe. And there's no way we could live if we, like, didn't eat food on the road. Like, we spend four... I yeah, spend like, six months yeah. a year on the road. <laughs> so, uh, I don't think that's of any concern. But it was definitely... Didn't see that one coming. And I tried to understand the question and think on my feet. But yeah, sometimes that's the other fun thing with Q&A. Sometimes you really get just the curveball and you're like, where did this come from? <laughs> X and I were sitting next to each other and we're like, whoa, like Buddy is just like, he has a serious, he must like, somebody must have told them they had a tainted supplement or something like that, like right before the show. Because that was a very specific question to be asking. And I... I don't know. I don't know if I believe that because the tainted supplement argument comes up a lot, like in all kinds of sports. And you're just like, what are you taking? Like, are you taking gas station pill? Like, I don't understand what you'd be taking that it would be that tainted to show up on on a drug test. Uh, It just it. Yeah, I don't know. It was a a weird question. I mean, I think if you're getting like the crazy bodybuilder weird packaging design like usually the packages patching design looks like pretty nuts um yeah to, it's like rhino horn yeah. 420 or something like that and you're just like two yeah our dietitian's like if it looks pretty crazy veer away from it and if you want to be really safe there's like nsf good informed choice and 
honestly that's what i go with because it would suck to just have any issues like and cause so much stress yeah. but you can't you try to control as much as you can and it is a it is a part of the sport and it, for me clean sport is super important um but mm-hmm. food I'm, i've never been worried about except for once um coming back from team usa week a stranger handed me a cookie and i was with a bunch of like track and field athletes um we were all coming back from t- Team USA week in DC. We we're on this flight. Like half of us are like wearing Olympic stuff. And this guy's like, oh, I made cookies. Like, are you allowed to eat cookies? And I'm like, I can have dessert. Why does everyone think that pro athletes can't have dessert for one? Yeah. And then two, we were like this track athlete. And I looked at each other and we're like, shit, should we like eat this cookie from a stranger? Like, what if it's laced with weed? <laughs> like, I don't know. But sometimes you don't think about that. You're not like thinking about that when you're at a social gathering. But on a plane, like after being at Team USA, we, we were both just like, do we say no yeah no for sure i would be definitely i mean it's your career that hinges on a cookie from a stranger i would definitely be a little neurotic about it i think Mm -hmm. yeah but i mean you know go to a potluck and you're eating stuff but a plain stranger yeah maybe not but it's, it's strange things that you wouldn't normally think about like or sometimes in hindsight i'm like that was probably dumb but you're not thinking about it every second of the day yeah how how rigorous is like we talked about clean sport like how rigorous is the testing i know like you have to keep your locations updated and stuff like that but what is that what does that look like on a regular year for you guys yeah 24 7 we have to have our location updated so overnight location and at least a one hour window um every day and they can come whenever they've come they came to like at the New York Gala last year and they came at 5 a.m. in New York City at a random hotel room like they you just don't know when they're gonna come um yeah or they come at 10 at night like at training camp this year so you are bound to be tested or subject to be tested at any time of day blood and urine um some years I've gotten tested like 12 times and some years it's been five and do you just you really don't know which is good in some ways but i swear yeah. they come at the worst times always you're like i gotta go right now <laughs> yeah yeah it's odd you always hear i feel like you hear it from like boxers or fighters more often than anything else and they're like dude like you were just here yesterday like why are you back again like and you hear it from mm-hmm. cycling athletes where they're like yeah i got a good result and immediately got tested and it feels like a slap in the face because it's like oh you did good you must be on something yeah, I mean, they definitely have, and I think it's, it does feel weird. Or yeah, if you have a breakout performance, suddenly, I, one season, I suddenly got tested like four times, like four times in two weeks. I was like, okay, they definitely flagged me. But at the same time, you would hope that if someone does have that because of something, it would prevent it or catch them. So, it yeah, yeah, definitely a weird part of store and lends to some really good party stories <laughs> or dinner yeah, tables for sure. Um. One of the last things I want to ask you about is I think you do a really good job on social media, like kind of putting the training stuff. The training stuff is involved for sure. And I think that is the basis for a lot of the content. But I think it it kind of shows who you are as a person pretty well, too. Why did you why is social media important to you? Why is creating videos important to you? Is it just fun? Do you enjoy doing it or do you consciously try to give people a lens into what you're like? Yeah, that's a, I guess, a loaded, a loaded question. Um, I think a little bit. what's really cool about, I mean, we all know like social media has, is 
both amazing in some ways and absolutely the worst in others. And I recognize with skiing, it's an opportunity to make a, a career. And I think it's one of the, being a ski racer is one of the best jobs in the world. And I hope that social media, one, can earn me a living and it has been, which is awesome. And two, I want to stay true to like who I am. I think it's really easy for people to like play into the algorithms and your sell yourself. But I really want to showcase like the lifestyle is really cool. Inspire kids to want to be pro ski racer someday and see that it's not just this intense thing, but it can be really fun and like one of the best jobs in the world. And so I just like to share like the joy of being outside and of active with others and, you know, inspiring people, whether it's to become a ski racer or just be active outdoors um, try different exercises like my strength workouts people seem to be really into lately like just giving people some different yeah. inspiration um, and yeah I definitely struggle because I don't want to be on my phone all the time I'm trying to like approach it from a work sense okay like what are the trends what's going on what am I doing right now and just sharing it as is um, getting people to see like what it's like because I think also you get more invested in the sport like what we see with the Netflix shows like F1 and drive survive all that stuff is if you understand like the human behind the athlete like you're much more excited to root for them and feel a lot more connected to what's going on in the racing so yeah i think being honest in yourself on social media is super important and i try to stay true to that because i did want to use social media as a positive thing and the most rewarding thing is when i get messages from people who are like i'm struggling with this like i heard you have had compartment syndrome surgery or like have de- dealt with asthma like how do you do it or you know, sharing this really inspired me to do this or like you helped my daughter out and like they really have fun with this sport. So hearing the positive feedback makes me feel a little less bad about, you know, putting a lot on social media because I would rather people get outside. But at the same time, it's an avenue to have a career. And I'm a really creative person. Like before Instagram was a thing, I was making like random YouTube edits on ski trips. Like looking back, they're so horrible now. But like I love making edits. Like I took TV um, like editing in school all four years of high school did graphic design did photography and so for me that comes mm. really naturally and like how I like to express my creative side and so making little video edits and syncing it to music has always been something I've enjoyed and so now it, it it's pretty natural um, and can be can be pretty fun or like I don't know silly TikTok dance is a fun way to hang out with your teammates and do something besides talk about skiing <laughs> yeah yeah for sure I love that. I, I think there's a really positive way to look at it. And I think there there's obviously a lot of negative stuff that comes with it. But I think if you're taking a positive approach to it and you're and you're just trying to put yourself out there, it's it is. It's part of your job and it's part of being an athlete. It's part of being in a public lens. Um so I think using it in the best way that you possibly can is is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. And I hope hope that hopefully that's that's what I'm doing. It's definitely my intention. Uh, but I think it's <laughs> But I think it is really important. Like some people, like our team talks about like how can we be good role models and being really cognizant of what you're putting out there and what message you're sending and, you know, who your audience is. Because, yeah, I I think we, like I've come to realize like I do have influence and power now, which gives me a voice to talk about things like protect our winners or organizations and causes I believe in. But also you have to be really careful about what you're putting out there making sure that it is with good intention yeah yeah for sure um all right last thing uh where can people find you on social media where can people find you in real life events that they should show up to um 
And this is this is kind of your plug here. So tell people where they can get at you. Yeah. Uh, speaking of social media, I think Instagram's probably where I'm most active. Uh, my handle is Julia Kernski. I know, really creative. Um, and I'm on other platforms as well. I think TikTok, similar handle, maybe a little bit different. Um, but yeah, you can follow along on Instagram. And otherwise, skiandsnowboard.live is where people can watch races all year long. There's even an app awesome. now. I'll be sharing like a discount code in the next week or two. Um, if people want to keep an eye out for that and they'll have Alpine races as well. So you can get the full package and watch replays, highlights, all that. So that's pretty cool. And then in terms of events live, we have two in North America in Canmore and in Minneapolis in mid-February. So if you're around and want to come watch, those will be really, really fun to see. Um, but yeah, that those are probably my main, my main hubs where you can find me, follow me and reach out if you have any questions or ideas of content you want to see. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much for the time. This has been great. Yeah, thank you for having me.